Welcome back to another episode here of the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're looking at the burial of Jesus. Very important points to be made today as concerning the, the connection of Pilate to the death of Jesus and the the surprise of Pilate, which we're going to look at today. So there's a lot of great things that are, that are existing in this, and I hope that you connect with them to to see a lot of the, the things that maybe you've never seen before as reading through the Scriptures, maybe have never even been taught before. So you'll have to put them to the test to see if what is being said is true, which is really exciting because it'll cause you to study to show yourself approved unto God. So what a blessing to get into today. With that, we start off in a word of prayer and and asking for God's blessing upon us on this Wednesday, middle of the week, guys. Here we are. We're almost there. It's about, uh, what, two and a a half weeks left to go before the actual day of Christmas. What a thrill. And so, buckle up. We're getting ready for this joy. Father, we thank you and praise you, asking that blessing be upon us and that you will lead us into this study We pray that you will watch over the hearts of those who are going through struggles at this period of time. In the year, we lift up Miss Cheryl Lacey and and the battle that she's having with with, uh, Mike Heldreth and and just the struggle of his of his life, Lord, as he's riddled with cancer. And Father, he's he's facing the last days. That you would bless Miss Cheryl and give her comfort that you will watch over his family as he transitions unto eternal life, Lord. You will just bless him in his journey. We pray that you will watch over us all, that we may rejoice in this moment, which is actually a tragic moment, dealing with the death of our Savior, dealing with the, the burial, dealing with looking at the disciples' hope being dashed because of their expectations of a kingdom that would Come a kingdom that would begin in Jesus that they didn't realize was not going to be physical. And the fact that him being put in the tomb is, is a reality that they, they went back to the old life that they lived before following Jesus because they didn't see a point in going any further in the direction of what they believed because it was in the ground. But they didn't realize the blessing of the resurrection that taught them that what their hope is, is eternal. And Jesus is eternal. And as we come to Christ, our faith connection to Jesus brings us into eternity as well. So we pray for that blessing in Jesus' name as we go through this moment. Amen. <clears throat> All right, guys, here we are at, at Mark chapter number 15. We're beginning in verse number 42 to start with today, dealing with the burial of Jesus and working to the end of the chapter to begin. The scripture says, now when the prepar- when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, meaning that we were in, in the Passover and before the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he, had, if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. 
And he he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was where he was laid. Uh, interesting situation that comes out of Mark fifteen forty two to forty seven is that we don't exactly have the fullest picture here because we need a connection between Matthew, Luke, and John on this. We understand that that Joseph of Arimathea is a Pharisee. He is in connection to the Sanhedrin court, which is what gives him the authority to be able to walk into uh, a, a meeting with Pilate and beg the body of Jesus. We understand that, that according to this writing, Pilate is surprised that Jesus was already dead. In other words, Pilate assumed Jesus to be on the cross much longer than he was, and, and that Jesus' anguish would be much worse than, than what it ended up being. And so it's pretty interesting when you get down to verse number 44 when it says that Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, asked if he did he had been any while dead. In other words, Pilate was like, what? It's the first news that he had heard of it when Joseph came to him and said, uh, I want the body of Jesus. And he said, wait a minute, what are, are we talking about the same guy? Is that the guy that I just put on the cross like three hours ago, four hours ago? Is this the same guy? Because usually the torture of crucifixion would last well into the day. Well, uh, crucifixion could even go up to two days due to the the amount of of pain that a body can suffer through trying to stay alive and that was the ultimate punishment of this type of torture is that the body was under such excruciating pain and yet the very uh, the very necessity of survival the flesh would would continue to fight to stay alive even if the person that was on that cross would wish themselves to be dead their body still would fight to live, and so they would go through this anguish for for long hours. I mean, a day, two days, in fact. Some have been reported to be able to survive the cross before asphyxiation. And the end result of crucifixion is ultimately asphyxiation. What happens would be that the 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 chest cavity would would cave in on itself from the slumping of the person on the cross. It could no longer press against the 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 nails that would be in the feet that that the pain of the nails ripping into the flesh against the feet would cause them not to be able to pull up anymore and the pain of the the nails that would be in the hands would keep them from from contracting their muscles in the arms and back and shoulders to be able to lift them up so as to be able to get a a, a gasp of air that their chest cavity would cave in and block their diaphragm from being able to move and ultimately they would just asphyxiate and and they would they would choke to death and so this was the method of 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 course of suffering and of death but for Jesus what Pilate needs to keep in mind is that there was so much blood loss already from Jesus that he was nigh unto death while he was carrying the beam that he would ultimately be hung on 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 the cross with and so when when Simon if you recall the Cyrenian who yesterday had to carry the the cross for Jesus because he was physically incapable of carrying it any further it it was it was the fact that Jesus didn't have anything left and so what normally would have taken people days a day or two to to actually die from 
Jesus was was um, he was already there. He was already at the point of death. It was just a matter of hours for him, even if he hadn't been crucified. Certainly, from that whipping, from that beating that he had received, it would only be uh, hours from that point that Jesus would be prepared in death anyway. So this just accelerated the the death of Jesus. And of course, we know that the thieves, as referred to when they discovered Jesus's death, the thieves on on the left and right of him, what would happen is is that if you if you did not die uh, on the cross coming up to the point of time, and of course those thieves that were on the left and right were would be recognized as 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 Jews. That would be there as they were mocking Jesus as recognizing the the Jews the Jews' faith and how that he was a rabbi that was that was right there with them was the beginning of the mocking that they would take hammers and they would break the femurs they would they would shatter the the bones of the legs of the people so that they couldn't walk away and and so that they would take them down off the cross after their legs are broken to leave them there to starve to death or to get eaten by animals or all kinds of nasty things that those two thieves would have to deal with but nevertheless, Jesus, they didn't break his legs because, one, the prophecy said there wouldn't be a bone that would be broken on him, but also he had already given up the ghost. In other words, Jesus had fulfilled that which would, which he came to do, the sin of the world being applied to his shoulders was paid for in those three hours between noon and three. Jesus said, it is finished. And then as we, of course, saw yesterday, as he said that, he said, Father, receive my spirit and took his last breath and he was gone. And so the the centurion that, that revealed to Pilate, yes, he's gone, he's dead. And he gave the body to Joseph. Now, remember what we also discovered from yesterday's podcast is that uh, if Jesus being crucified that day, if his body would be left out in the open, if his body would be left on onto the ground, even with those guys that were beside him where they would shatter the legs of and, and leave them to, to die and to rot, if that would have been the case with Jesus, it would have caused a defilement to be upon the whole land, as recognized by what we saw in Deuteronomy yesterday. And so it was necessary, recognized by Joseph of Arimathea, but also would be recognized by Nicodemus, two men that would be found within the Sanhedrin court. It would be necessary for Jesus's body to be placed inside of a tomb before the the changeover of the day. Remember at about 6 p.m. you're going to have the changeover of the day from from the the Passover feast unto the day of unleavened bread, in which case you're entering into a Sabbath. And that's where the rush is. You've got about three hours to be able to get Jesus, his body, from that that cross to this tomb and, and everything situated so that it would be taken care of. And of course, at the tomb, you understand that there would be guards that would be posted. There would be the seal of Caesar placed upon the rock. There, there, there's all kinds of things that are not being mentioned in Mark. But remember what I told you all the way back at Mark chapter 1. It's a bare bones gospel. It gives you the the minimum facts of all the major events that are happening. And if you want more information, you've got to tie Mark together with Matthew and Luke and John to be able to get a fullness of the picture that is happening here. So, 
You'll find that Mark fifteen forty three. You you meet Joseph of Arimathea. He's an honorable man. He's a counselor of the people. Um, which, by the way, I mean, the counselor is what we call lawyers today. And, of course, as being in connection as a Pharisee to the Sanhedrin court, that would be basically what he is, a lawyer. He's a counselor there, which which waited for the kingdom of God. Now, this is interesting because just this last Friday, we talked about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God that Joseph of Arimathea is referring to and waiting for is not the same as the kingdom of God Jesus taught. Okay, The kingdom of God that was explained to Nicodemus was a spiritual kingdom that is existent in the present day today and existed in the present when Jesus was on the earth. He was the king that, that brought in that kingdom and that kingdom as he, re, as he spoke to Peter and corrected him at the, at the priest servant's ear that he cut off is that this is a kingdom that is not served by the flesh. It is a kingdom that is not protected by the weapons of the warfare of carnal things, that this is a spiritual kingdom that is connected together by the Holy Spirit of God through the saints that would enter into the family of God through the new birth in in Christ Jesus. So, needless to say, the kingdom that Joseph is waiting for is that kingdom of heaven that Jesus was talking about, or that millennial reign of the Messiah. And so, he's a man who believed in the Messiah. He's a man who believed in Jesus as the Messiah, and he's a man who's still waiting for that kingdom of God, or that kingdom of heaven as Jesus taught, the millennial reign, to come. Well, I too, like Joseph of Arimathea, am a man who is awaiting for the millennial reign of Christ. I'm rejoicing in the understanding of the millennial reign of Christ, and as it is considered in the Old Testament, this millennial thousand-year reign as being the kingdom of God, I too wait for the blessing of that. But Jesus came on the scene, and he began to differentiate between that which was the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom that I'm already a part of. And if you are a child of God today, born into God, through the you know into the family of God by the Holy Spirit, then you too also are a part of the kingdom of God, as Jesus referred. We all who are the children of this kingdom are awaiting the kingdom of heaven that is to come. And that is going to be our teaching. Actually, it's coming up in two days on this coming Friday. It's going to be a really exciting conversation when we get into it because with the kingdom of heaven, if I have opportunity to be able to get the notes written out all the way, it gives us a context of what the what the parables and prophecies that Jesus would speak about from Matthew 24, 25, 26. Uh, it would give us all kinds of different connections to to some of the things that Jesus was teaching and then to look at Revelation 19 to Revelation 20, and to be able to to really grasp uh, the concept of the kingdom from the Old Testament perspective. It's a lot, a lot of information uh, provided we could get some of it down on a piece of paper in the midst of everything else we're doing. So, heading back to Joseph, we see him claiming the body of Jesus, and as he received the body of Jesus in verse number 45, uh, he bought Joseph of Arimathea bought fine linens and took Jesus down and wrapped him in the linens so as to to honor the body of of the departed and laid him in a sepulcher, which, by the way, the scripture is very clear about this one. Uh, Let me take you to the prophecies of this. Uh, We see in Isaiah 53, 9, 
uh, which has been a text that we've spent a lot of time in the last couple of days. Isaiah 53 is is the very messianic uh, prophecy from Isaiah about the Messiah's life, about his death, about his burial. And and so in Isaiah 53, 9, it says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. And then as concerning his burial, but also in Isaiah chapter number 22 and verse number 16, Isaiah chapter 22 and verse number 16, the scripture says, What hast thou there? And whom hast thou here that thou hast hewed thee out a sepulcher here? As he that heweth him out a sepulcher on high, and that graveth an habitation for himself in a rock. Which is interesting because of the connection that it would make with Jesus being placed inside of a tomb of a sepulcher inside the rock. And so understand this was a place that was that was made for him that that it was a borrowed tomb. It wasn't it wasn't the family tomb of Joseph, which was Mary's husband. It wasn't the family tomb of Jesus. It was a borrowed tomb and praise God, it's because he didn't need a tomb. <laughs> he wasn't going to be in there very long, only about 3 days. And so we see that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. So moving forward, really exciting stuff there. I really enjoyed the fact that Pilate didn't realize or didn't know that he was actually dead. You would think that, that Pilate would have been on top of everything that was happening, but the reality is that everything was happening so quickly during the period of time of Jesus' trial and everything going on that it was impossible for Pilate to keep up with everything that happened. And so we discover that, that Pilate was amazed when, when, when Joseph, not even his own guards, his own centurions, but when Joseph of Arimathea shows up and says, hey, I want the body of Jesus. And Pilate goes, what do you mean you want the body of Jesus? Isn't he on the cross? Isn't he still alive? What, what's going on here? That just shocks me. I think it's funny. That that a guy put someone to death that didn't even realize if he was dead or not. <laughs> you figure. And so, Mark chapter number 16, moving over, and by the way, we're at the end of Mark. Um, praise God. We're, we'll be having to look at after... Uh, after this chapter, then we'll be moving to the characters of Christmas, and after that, then we'll be getting a new study. So definitely hang out with me a little bit longer. But Mark chapter 16, and verse number 1, it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, Important to understand, the first day of the week. Now, very early in the morning, which which is an interesting perspective because we have to consider what is thought of to be morning by the Hebrew people. So the first hour of the morning for the Hebrew people would actually be around 7 o'clock at what we consider the evening. Remember, the day's changeover happens at around 6 p.m. And so the hour after 6 p.m. would be a brand new day, so that would actually be the first hour of the morning. 
which is interesting because you you have this connection. Now, is it possible that we're talking about when the sun rises instead of sets as being the early morning? Well, that is possible entirely, but it, it, it defines it at the rising of the sun, so we understand that it would be uh, around four or five, maybe six, in what we consider to be the morning, but keep in mind, at the day change of 6 p.m., and I know some of this is confusing, you just have to study it out and and, and learn it, but at the day changing, we understand like what, what was said even at the crucifixion of Jesus, the ninth hour was actually like 3 p.m., and the and the sixth hour would have been like noon, <laughs> and so it's, it's pretty important to realize that that the situation we have here is defined by the sun rising, so that would be the early morning of the first day of the week. But that day of the week actually began at at say seven o'clock the the yester evening. Whoo! It gets t- kind of convoluted, no doubt. But keep that in mind. As the day doesn't change at midnight for the Hebrew people, the day changes at 6. And very early in the morning of the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher, the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Now you've got these ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and of course there's there's a couple of other people with him, but that's the only ones that Mark actually refers to. You'll have to see it in, in Matthew 27. You'll have to see it in Luke uh, 20 or Luke 19, Luke 20, and, and also in John uh, 19 and 20. So you've got this situation where these ladies show up to the tomb and they ask among themselves because they're not, none, none of them, even all collectively, would be able to be strong enough to pull the rock from the hole and move the stone. So they're asking among themselves, how in the world are we going to be able to get in there? In verse number three, how's this going to be possible? And Keep in mind that that the Sabbath day has now passed. You, you got into the Sabbath at the at the burial of Jesus, but then they show up after the Sabbath had passed on the next day. And so this day that they're showing up is actually the third day of the spring festival. All of this has actually transpired through the first or, or the first three of the festivals of God recognized in Leviticus chapter number twenty three. First the Passover, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then the Feast of First Fruits, being the third day. And it's important to keep in mind what the Feast of the First Fruits is because of its connection. So what I want to do real quick here is go over to Leviticus chapter number 23, as we were saying. So Leviticus chapter number 23, and I want to read a little bit about the Feast of the First Fruits. And so the scripture would say in Leviticus chapter number 23, beginning in verse number 9, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you become into the land which I give unto you, and you shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf and he lamb 
without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine a fourth part of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that you have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. This is the feast of first fruits, and it deals with bringing forth a lamb. It deals with with uh, not eating or drinking until the point in which you made your offering of the 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 you know the first sproutlings of the grain that would ultimately be offered in the feast of weeks, which would be fifty days from that point. But nevertheless, the resurrection is the bread of life. It's Jesus Christ that is recognized as that that uh, root out of a dry ground that Isaiah 53 would speak of. A tender root out of a dry ground is the, the connection to that, that beginning shoot that would be offered as a sheaf to be waved before the Lord, that is Jesus. And so we, we come to the point where these ladies just passed the Sabbath day. They're headed to anoint his body with spices because they couldn't do it the day before. There wasn't enough time to be able to anoint his body, that they had to get that stone rolled into place, they had to get him buried, or the land would be defiled. But now, after the Sabbath, there's plenty of time to be able to tend to his body, and he's he's only been gone for about a day, so you still have a chance to be able to get in there before he begins to stink. That is the case. And so the ladies show up, they say, how in the world are we going to get that stone out of the way? And, and what they discover is the stone was already rolled away. And when they entered the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. So th- they see a young man sitting on the right side. And nowhere in Scripture that I am aware of do we find that, that angels are recognized, one, as being feminine, and two, as having wings. Now, I'm not talking about archangels. I'm not talking about Gabriel or Michael. I'm talking about angels just in general. These people, like the two angels that would be recognized as going into Sodom and Gomorrah and burning the place down, the the angel that would come and and visit, you know, um, that would visit Joshua when he was preparing himself to have to face Jericho and gave him the message to march around the city seven times, uh, once a day, seven days, seven times on the seventh day, uh, this guy shows up and he looks like a soldier, but d- nowhere do you find the mention of wings. And and at this point, every time we see an angel, we see them as being male. We see them as being masculine, young man sitting in the right side. So it's very important for us to get a proper perspective of the concept of angels because all around us we're we're kind of deceived into thinking that angels are feminine or feminine or female in in their context when the reality is they're not they're very much uh, created as concerning what the scripture speaks of in a masculine uh, in a masculine gender no doubt so the scripture tells us about this man sitting at the right side, and it scared them. Well, obviously, when you're in the presence of God's glory, it's it's going to be a little frightening because you've never experienced anything like that in this earth. 
Remember that his light dispels darkness, and man, no matter how good the person is, tends to enjoy being in darkness rather than light because the light exposes us. So it causes a bit of fear. And and the scripture goes on in verse number 6 here of Mark 16, and it says, He said unto them, Don't be afraid. He said, You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, or you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. Well, praise God. We understand that. I mean, Mary's the Mary's trio was there at the foot of the cross. They were there watching him suffer. They were there when he was stabbed in the side. They know he was crucified. There's no question about that. But this is important for us to understand today because there has always been a question among mankind as to if the crucifixion actually happened. And this angel is speaking the reality. He said, first, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified period. This is the thing that has been done. Look what it says. He is risen. Hallelujah. Right there, guys. There's a point of praise to be able to have our hands held high and rejoicing at the fact that death did not stop our Savior, that death does not stop us. He's conquered the grave. He's conquered death. He's conquered Satan. We have a victory today, guys. Look at it. You seek Jesus, which was crucified. By the way, he is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Go ahead and take a look at where he was laying. You're not going to find him. And praise God, every Easter, people put him on the cross and look for him in the tomb. But I hate to tell them he's not there. The Lamb of God is risen. The Lamb of God had paid the price for your sin and mine, and hallelujah, he's no longer there. He is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his children and receiving daily brand new souls into the kingdom of God as they shall call upon him, repenting of their sin. And you could be the next one if you are not a follower of Jesus at this time. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you you ought to be rejoicing with me. You ought to be praising God with me right now because this is our victory. This is our everything. Jesus is it. He is the reason for everything. What a joy. Guys can't help it. Got to break loose every now and then. What a joy to be in Jesus Behold the place where they laid him. Look at what he says, verse number 7. He says, Go your way and tell his disciples and tell Peter. He says, Tell his disciples and Peter. (laughs) Okay, tell everybody else, but you find that knucklehead Peter that ran off from me, that that denied me thrice at the cock crowing twice. You, You go find Peter and you tell him I'm coming. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Peter, I got a I got a paddle for you, partner, cuz you you're going to get straight. I'm going to straighten you out, Jesus said. He says, uh, "But go your way to the ladies, right? And tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you." And, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And what happens? Well, verse number 9 happens. It says, uh, When Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, uh, by the way, 
for those folks that want to fuss at people like me that come together to worship in the church on the Sunday, which is the first day of the week recognized in in any week, it, because you're breaking the laws concerning the the Sabbath day, you're supposed to be meeting on the on the seventh day of the week, not the first day of the week. You're supposed to be Sabbath in keeping of the law and and, and the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, I hate to tell you, but but the very Messiah that that is Lord and King over the Sabbath day, as he said that the Son of Man is both Lord of the Sabbath. Um, that he met with the first day of the week. <laughs> he rose at the first day of the week. He meets with his disciples on the first day of the week. He he begins a movement of church that, that meets together the first day of the week. So the point being in Romans 14, if you firmly believe that, that Saturday is your Sabbath day, God bless you, keep the Saturday, keep the Sabbath, I'm 100% for you. If you are with me and you believe that that our time of worship should be gathered together when Jesus established the time of worship to gather together as the first day of the week, then God bless you. Keep the first day of the week, rather Saturday or Sunday. It makes no difference that you are fully convinced in your heart to come together to worship God and that you come together and worship God with every ounce of ability that he's put inside of you to praise his holy name and to proclaim his holy work, then God bless you, do it. But if you're a person that complains about somebody that shows up on Saturday to worship God, you think that's wrong, but you don't even show up on Sunday and you call yourself a Christian, first, you're a liar, and the truth isn't in you. And second, quit complaining about the person who's actively worshiping God on a Saturday because they are still serving the Lord. And if you're a person that complains about a person that shows up on a Sunday to worship God, and and you claim that Saturday is the day of worship, but you don't show up to do any worship yourself, that's just what you think the time should be, then you're a liar and you need to hush your mouth about the person that's worshiping God actively on a Sunday because they're proclaiming Jesus. They're worshiping the Son of God. Both of you, rather Saturday or Sunday, ought to get your butts in gear and get to the house that you worship in to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth so that He can be lifted up among the acquaintances that each of you have. Just deal with it. That's the truth. And it comes down, it says that Jesus was risen early the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Well, that was an awesome gesture. <laughs> and, and she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And, and they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been, and had been seen of her, they didn't believe her. Wonder why. And so after that he appeared in verse 12 in another form, in another form, interesting, interesting, in another form unto two of them as they walked in and went into the country, they went and told it unto the residue, and neither believed they them. Now the 12 and 13 is talking about the Emmaus Road journey where they were walking from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and that seven miles that was between and the two disciples were talking with each other. Jesus showed up in the midst of them, <clears throat> asked them what was going on, and they were shocked that this stranger didn't know what was happening in Jerusalem. So they explained to, to this stranger, quote, quote, the crucifixion and everything that was happening with Jesus. By the time that they got to Bethlehem, 
They, they had uh, broken bread. Of course, Jesus was with them. He prayed over the bread. Their eyes were open. They realized they were in the presence of Jesus, and then he was gone. So they took off and ran back to Bethlehem or back to Jerusalem, where the other disciples were, or as called ab- appropriately called in verse number 13 here, the residue. <laughs> that's what you get off of the tub from scrubbing it from, from all of the nasty that's there. Well, that's perfectly mentionable. It's the residue. And and they told them, of course, they didn't believe Mary. Now they don't believe the, the two on the Emmaus journey. And thus you'll find in verse number 14 that afterward Jesus appeared unto the leaven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And Jesus said... The Great Commission, this is tied together with Matthew 28 and Luke 21, I believe. The Great Commission is revealed in Mark 16, 15. Uh, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And so then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So, very important that you see the instructions that are given to them by Jesus encompass the entire 40 days of of the time that he was with them on the earth. And at verse number 19, it is connected to Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 11, when Jesus was received up into heaven at that point. So, this This last part of the chapter is actually just kind of an overview of all things that Jesus would speak about up until the point of time where they were received, where he was received up into heaven in in the time of Acts, which is through the 40 days leading up to the point of Pentecost when the church would be empowered to, to actually do everything that Jesus said back in 15 to 18. Uh, <clears throat> very important point. And after the Pentecost, when he was received up, they went forth and they preached everywhere. And the Lord was working with them because he's now empowered them to go forth and do the work that Jesus commanded them to do, confirming the word because at the time the, the testaments had not been fully written, the Bible wasn't completed, so it was confirmed in, in the gospel that they preached and the things that they did with the signs that Jesus said would follow. Like Paul when a, when a serpent reached out and bit him by the fire and and he shook it off and like the the drink the poison that was they tried to poison him and he drank it and it didn't hurt him and of course they laid their hands on the sick and many did recover now one of the things that I certainly want to cover is Mark 16:16 16, 16. it's very important that we go over this because somebody's bound to ask the question about baptism is necessary for salvation because people read this and they say he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So they say, well, right there, the scripture says that that baptism is necessary connected to your belief in order for a person to be able to be saved. And it's interesting because at the, at the end of that statement, it does not say, but he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. It just simply says that he that believeth not 
shall be damned. So what we discover is that the fullness of salvation is recognized in belief, in the believing of Jesus Christ, which is why in in Romans chapter number 10, and I'll read this to you in Romans chapter number 10, and if you want to go there, I would encourage you to go and, and look at this real quick because it's necessary for us to have this clear in our heart. Romans chapter number 10, as concerning salvation in its core, is written in verse 9 and 10. And the scripture says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What the scripture didn't say was that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and receivest thou baptism, thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say that. What it does say in verse number 10 is, is, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We don't have anything to do with baptism. So why then would the scripture that Jesus would speak, as it is written, of course, in bread, why then would, would he say, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? And, and the very connection that we were talking about is concerning baptism to begin with is dealing with uh, moving over to Mark 16 back to where we're at is dealing with the very concept of, of the connection of the body known as the church. And so Jesus is saying, he that believeth shall be saved. And of course, baptism is the immersion aspect of, of that, that belief that we would have in Christ to the second point. Being baptized is being immersed, and immersed in your belief in Jesus is indeed what's going to save you. But your disbelief in Jesus is what's going to damn you. So the, the very baptized that is being spoken of here is not dealing with the activity of climbing in the water, which would actually join you to the body of Christ known as the church. This word baptized right here is actually dealing with the point of belief as being immersed in your belief in Jesus is what actually saves you as according to what we just finished reading in Romans chapter number 10 and verse 9 and 10. So it's very important to realize that that salvation comes as as a, a result of your belief in Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. And your disbelief of Jesus is what is going to send a person to the pits of hell. And so that's very important for us to understand in this day. So, <clears throat> needless to say that that we have completed the book of Mark. And, and another thing I want to point out in a little bit of time, I've gone over, but a little bit of time, is that from from Mark chapter number 16, roughly about verse number 10 or verse number 12, it, it, it is referred to in a lot of the modern translations as the rest of this uh, not even being attached to the gospel of Mark. It is believed by a lot of these modern translations that verses, say, 12 to 20 aren't even in the text, when, of course, that is the way that a lot of modern translations want to roll, but we see the value of, of the words of Jesus actually being written here and the fact that they're found in uh, out of 5,200 or over 5,200 manuscripts that we have of, of the Bible that they are discovered in many of those manuscripts and, and some do, do claim to leave these scriptures out and so they, they want the words of Jesus silenced by leaving them out. 
we have right before us, at least in this old King James Bible, a complete Word of God. And so that's a thrill uh, just to my own personal soul as we read this. But welcome to the Gospel of Mark. I hope this has been a blessing to you uh, going through this this account of Jesus' life in Mark. And what a thrill it is to be able to share it with you. And uh, tomorrow certainly is Thursday. We're going to be doing some some uh, Q&A. I mean, if you've got some questions, you can send them to me rather on Preacher's Corner 2020 at gmail.com. Or you can uh, throw a, a message out there with with uh, Facebook here. You can connect up to us on Facebook at, at Preacher's Corner 2020. Uh, well, it would be facebook.com slash preachers corner 2020 and and you'll be able to connect up to us there but yeah tomorrow we're just going to kind of go over uh some some of the details of maybe what we've discussed we're going to look at christmas maybe even as a preparation for for coming into the characters of christmas we look at the whole narrative of christmas and then we'll discuss each individual character throughout the next week or two uh, just just to have an idea of, of, of Christmas and why we're together in this time. So uh, tomorrow is going to be an interesting day because it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> and so, I, again, I just thank you for being with me during the, this time of the Gospel of Mark. Father, we're, we're grateful for this period of time. I ask that blessing upon us as we depart from this four o'clock hour that we may be able to rejoice in what we have received of the gospel and that we may be able to have seen and heard and understood new things, Lord, that may never have been discussed, but that we we search these things out to ensure that what is being said is true according to the scriptures and what a joy it is to be in this study. We pray that you will bless us in Jesus' name this day. Amen. God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you guys. We'll see you tomorrow for the surprise. Take care.